Okay, so welcome everybody to the Sportscast of Ideas with me, Jeff Kidder, my colleagues, Alistair Donald and Rob Lyons. And this week, we're delighted to be joined by our Italian correspondent, Dominic Standish. Uh, we'll review the matches over the past week. There's been some great football, some very exciting things. Um, and then we'll look forward to the final between Italy and England this coming Sunday. I hardly believe after all these years I'm saying England in the final, but, but I am. And most of us here, I think, uh, delighted that that's the case. But we can discuss all these things. So to start with, Dominic, I know that uh, you can tell us the mood in Italy at the moment and how things are looking, but I know in particular you were at the uh, England-Ukraine match, I believe, in, in, in Rome last weekend. So how, how are things looking from, uh, from your neck of the woods? Well, I'll start with the game in Rome, which was a um, really unusual experience because I hadn't been to an England match for 30 years. And obviously the opportunity came up because of the terrible travel ban uh, particularly on England fans travelling to the game. But obviously the match started really well with the goal. Um, and then I was a bit disappointed in the first half, a lot of this tippy-tappy, cautious football. Um, but then obviously in the second half, England came out fighting and did an amazing job against Ukraine. I felt really sorry for the Ukraine fans because they were great fun and in good voice. Uh, but obviously their team was uh, really, really poor. Um, it was also really interesting just being in the crowd that was quite an unusual demographic because I usually go to Queen's Park Rangers matches in London quite frequently, even though I live in Italy. And there it tends to be largely male, a lot of over 50s, but it was really noticeable in the stadium uh, that most of the England fans were in their 20s and their 30s and definitely a higher proportion of women uh, than usual. And chatting to people, it seemed like a lot of people... Uh, living around Europe had got tickets because uh, England fans couldn't come. Um, so it made a really lively kind of youthful atmosphere and it was really, really good fun, very friendly uh, environment. Quarterfinals now seem uh, as if they were weeks away. Um, Switzerland, Spain, Belgium, Italy, Ukraine, England, the Czech Republic against Denmark. As you say, they just seem so long ago. It's like history just like draws a veil over the previous round. Um, it's like the the, the England Germany game seems eons ago now. Um, so yeah, but I mean, all you can say is there's been some some very good games uh, in this tournament, and um, as, as some people saying on Twitter, possibly the best tournament for for decades in some ways in terms of the some of the tightness of, of the games. Um, but yeah, and you know, some teams have done very well to get through. I mean, Denmark. We give the way where Denmark started with the, that the incident with Ericsson for them to get to the semi-finals to 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 get to extra time and actually have everybody tune their fingernails right to the last kick of the ball it's just a, a amazing uh, performance and they they clearly have a few talented players in there that a few the, the checkbooks of the big clubs in Europe might be coming out over the summer for some of them. But Dominic, just to ask you about Italy, that Italy-Belgium match, which was certainly built up here as a great powerhouse, it really, to me, I mean, watching it, I mean, Italy were, they've both got good players, but Italy were the team and Belgium were 
a team of very good individuals. That's how it looked. Mancini seems to have really moulded something there. Yeah, I mean, the performance against Belgium, I think, was the best Italy performance I've seen in years. And uh, Mancini has really managed to kind of blend some very experienced players like uh, Chiellini and Bonucci, some of the uh, younger players like uh, Barella. And he's a real legend in Italy for what he's achieved. And obviously against Austria uh, and against Spain, England, uh, Italy played less well, but they did the job and they won. Um, I was looking at the statistics. Italy have now uh, not lost for 33 games. And it's very important to remember that Mancini took over just after Italy failed to qualify for the last World Cup, which is basically a national disaster. I mean, Italians just assume that Italy will play in every major tournament. He took over and he's really done an incredible job. So he's very highly regarded uh, here in Italy. And I have to say, uh, my heart is very much with England, but my head says that uh, Italy are going to beat England in the final. Uh, Alistair? Yeah, I think that the Belgium-Italy game I thought was a really, really good game. Um, it's in, you know, Belgium, the so-called golden generation, people have been speculating as to whether they're going to actually win something with that crop of players that they've had around for the last seven or eight years and didn't quite manage it. I think they've only lost something like three games in, in, in all the time that... Um, yeah, since since uh, 2016 Euros, so uh, people speculate as if they were going to do it. They they seem to me to be just that little bit short. I mean, obviously it didn't help that some of their players were either injured and out or uh, injured and doped up to get through the match and didn't quite manage to play as well as they could. Um, doped up in a legal sense, of course. Uh, but uh, I thought Lukaku um, just came up a little bit short. He had really good chances and didn't quite put them away. So I, I, I thought Italy were brilliant in that game, actually, and, and deserved to go through. I felt a little bit sorry for Ukraine in the match in, in Rome against England. They, uh, I think we speculated on the last podcast as to whether they'd they'd come out full of ener- energy and, and tear into it because they were in the quarterfinals for the first time and in in the event they kind of looked like they've got lead in their legs I think from right from the outset I think that uh, that game in the, in the second round had taken a lot out of them I mean there was players falling like flies in extra time during that game and and uh, they all looked completely knackered at the end so it was just a, a little step too far for them but um England, I thought, in a very professional way, just took advantage of of their lack of energy and scored the goals at crucial times and easily deserved to go through. And Alistair, moving on, you, you were lucky enough to be at the Italy-Spain semi-final at Wembley the other day. How, how was that? That was a really even match between two very good footballing sides. Yeah, it was first and foremost, it was brilliant to be back at a football match, which I haven't been to one for 15 months. And amongst 60,000 uh, fans, it was it was just fantastic. You forget how much you miss big football crowds. It's just, uh, it was an amazing experience. It's a very typical experience of, of uh, how fans get tickets these days. You spend hours on the internet refreshing, waiting for a ticket, trying to get it in your basket to buy it, and you go through the process and then it tells 
tells you at the end of it that you may have got it, but they can't quite confirm it. <laughs> pending money pending to be uh, coming out of the bank account, and it was a chaotic uh, couple of hours before the match, just trying to <laughs> actually get hold of the ticket. In 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 the end, we had to blag our way into some what I assume was some UEFA ticket office that was really for UEFA bigwigs rather than the, the commoners like me. But we managed to get in there and a, a woman sorted us out with a paper ticket, which was I've never been more pleased to see a paper ticket um, in this day of uh, mobile phones get, giving you ticket entry. The game was, uh, was I, th I thought, it was a really good game. Uh, and again, Italy... Uh, I thought played very well, but not quite as well as they'd played in, 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 in previous rounds. And I thought Spain found them out a little bit uh, and had the chances and missed a couple of really good chances, I thought, uh, Spain. But I thought when it went to extra time, you know, Italy, you, you could just tell that they steadied themselves. And uh, one of the fantastic things about being at that match was getting the opportunity to see that Italian defence and particularly the central defenders who very much stand in a, I think, in a tradition of great Italian defenders, which is, uh, uh, you know, a, a side of the game that goes as uh, people don't appreciate so much these days, but I think should be very much appreciated. And to see them, uh, it was just a fantastic experience. And, I thought uh, Cialini in his uh, handling of the pre-penalty situation where they tossed the coins and he was, uh, uh, you know, winding up a little bit, a very tense uh, Spanish captain. I thought that was a very good bit of, uh, uh, you know, gamesmanship po possibly, but it just steadied Italy's nerves for the penalties. And rightly, they went through in the end, I think. Dominic, what's the mood like? Obviously, we can discuss the mood in England in a minute and what it means for England to get through to the final. But Italy, to be fair, in you know, in my lifetime, have been one numerous, one number of tournaments. I've been to a number of finals. Um, uh, you know, is there still the great excitement like it was the first one? Or obviously, it's not the first one. In fact, it's the tenth major final uh, for Italy, and it's its fourth uh, Euro Championship final. So, you know, there's obviously that pedigree, uh, unlike England, of uh, success. Uh, in fact, they also noted that England had never beaten Italy at a major tournament. So the mood in Italy um, is a very high expectation. But also, a lot of the commentators today, uh, and a lot of people I've been chatting to as well, have said that uh, this is a very unfair situation. because they, Obviously, England have played every game except the one at home. Uh, they've got the advantage in terms of the fans. And there's a lot of disgruntlement as well about uh, Sterling diving and uh, a kind of sense of lack of fairness. Uh, Italy have uh, been offered a 1,000 tickets um, just basically overnight uh, for Italian fans to travel without quarantining. So that will help. But I think there's a feeling that I've seen people saying today, well, basically, uh, you have a penalty uh, that was completely unfair. Uh, you've got home advantage for every match except for one. Um, and basically, it's not a kind of fair playing field. But nevertheless, I think there is an expectation here that Italy will win. Quickly going back to the, it's the Spain game, I think that what Spain did very well and fortunately didn't have the end product on was the moving the ball so fast uh, from side to side of the pitch. I mean, it's, it wasn't just tiki-taka. It was, they were moving it pretty quickly, like, Receive, control, 
move it on very quickly, especially in extra time. And they just didn't have the end products to the the the, the striker to to really finish finish them off. Because I think Italy were did look a bit tired actually, uh, and were definitely the team more welcoming of penalties than uh, than Spain were. Um, but you know that's that's the, the Italian way. If you can't win it pretty, win it ugly, as it were, or uh, not very sophisticatedly. Um, so that uh, you know, I, th- I think that's that solidity that you expect from Italy that. You know, it makes them, I still think, yeah, uh, pre-final favourites um, for that match. But England showed some 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 of that as well when they wanted to. When they went the goal down against Denmark, they showed some 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 very good quality as well. Um, so, um, and I, the Sterling thing. I mean, I, I thought he got a nudge. I think if, if it had been anywhere else, the pitch would have been a free kick. Nobody would have complain too much about it you know, it's just because it was such a decisive moment but uh, you know that's what strikers do if they feel a touch they go down so um, yeah uh, you know, Italy did, did play all their home games in the group stage didn't they all the games in Rome in the group stage and, and that's just the, the way this took, I mean in, in normal circumstances there would be a host country and if the host country got through to the final that would just be the way it, it, it worked out so I mean, that's just the way, the way of things. But yes, I'll be, I think there'll be plenty of Italians there to, to give some support. And I think that they've, they've just, they're just edging it as, as favourites for me. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking last night, there were times in the match. I mean, England came back from, at times and Denmark defended very well at times. But there were times in the match when you just felt the pressure was getting to England a bit when they couldn't, you know, when they had so much pr- pressure themselves and they couldn't score. And obviously, in the end, they got a penalty. But there was, you just felt that, you know, the pressure of being at home and the expectation and not having been in the final for so, well, yeah, for so long. You just, I mean, I just thought that was, a, I take the point about Rome, but it's a, and being at Wembley, but it is a double-edged sword and that pressure could weigh on them. I think possibly in the final, you don't know which way it'll go. It could be less because, you know, that it's like, so long since it's ever happened, it's unprecedented. Whereas historically in England, the thing is getting to semi-finals and losing on penalties or losing in the semi-finals. Um, but having said that, there's quite a lot of pressure being at home on the final, realistically. And Italy are a very good team, you know, and, and very solid experienced team and very good defensively, as has been said. So, I mean, I, but having said that, England did quite well last night against a team which also defended quite well so it should be it's i mean it should be a bit you know a, a, a good match are there any other points on this or any wider points because obviously there have been while celebrations up to a point certainly a, a certain euphoria in the air in england because it's just you know whatever happens now it's the first time since i mean i followed football since the 1970 world cup and it's the first time england of and that was ignominious that the Alf Ramsey taking his best players off and them losing 3-2 to West Germany, which I, I, scarred me for life, let alone anybody mm-hmm. else. And, you know, 1966, I personally don't remember. So, um, you know, it's the first time since then England got through to the final. So it is a major achievement in and of itself. Hopefully the team don't look at it like that. So there we go. The other thing is Southgate himself, who I know I have to a bit of humble pie because I was quite critical of him on the first podcast and I don't agree with all the you know taking the knee stuff but I also 
wasn't convinced of him as a coach and, you know, building a team with the resilience to, to, to get through uh, to the final of the tournament. And he has done that, you know, whatever you think of other things. So, um, uh, so you know, there's some credit due there. So Yes, I, I, my assessment of Southgate has definitely changed a bit. Um, I mean, to go, to go deep in two successive tournaments is quite an, an achievement. Nobody else, no other England manager, I think, has done that. So fair play to him. And he, and he does make some big calls. Last night, taking off Grealish and putting Trippier on was a big call. Um, so that yeah, he's got courage to do that um, and not feel that he has to explain himself or whatever. So, yeah, I think, he, I think he has done a good job. Obviously, the thing that's caused a bit of uh, uproar last night and this morning on on Twitter and uh, elsewhere is Gary Neville's comments in the commentary afterwards about, uh, you know, we, he's, how great a leader Southgate is compared to the leaders we've had in this country for the past couple of years. Obviously a dig at um, Boris Johnson and the Conservative government over the handling of the pandemic. Um, and that's divided opinion. I thought it was a bit of a stupid thing to say at that point when everybody was celebrating um, what was a substantial achievement to get through to the final. Um, but, you know, other people may feel differently. I mean, obviously, he's not called Red Nev for nothing. So there you go. But I thought, yeah, I thought it was a stupid thing to say. Well, it was interesting uh, that he said that. Red Nev, as you say, sort of uh, Alex Ferguson, uh, son of Govan's right-hand man, the union, the union man. Uh, and, and all the rest of it. But it was interesting this week that, that uh, Frank Luntz, who's the uh, ex-Republican uh, advisor who's just relocated to the UK and become part of the Centre for Policy Studies, was in the newspaper also claiming a bit of Southgate's leadership quality and, 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 and saying he's the man uh, and needs to take notice of how he deals with things. Uh, and his point of criticism was con- contrasting uh, Southgate to Starmer's inadequacies. So obviously, just now everybody wants a little bit of of Southgate uh, magic to rub off on them, uh, them take the take, so make some claims on it themselves. I, I agree with Rob. I thought it was a bit of a daft thing to say about Neville, but equally, I think the reaction to it and everybody getting really wound up by it is also a little bit daft. It, it just seems the just now you you can't really have a conversation about football without it being uh, twisted and and pushed to make uh, points, uh, different points, political points or cultural points. Everybody just seems seems to want to do that. On um, uh, Southgate's leadership, I, I, I've been quite impressed by him. I mean, I think I said earlier in the, in the podcast series as well. I've struggled to believe that he's a tactical uh, magician and, and and kind of just quite as good as everybody uh, is claiming for him. But I thought as well that that decision to pull off Grealish last night was 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 an important one, and it it seemed it seemed more clear than ever to me from that game yesterday that England have got a, a you know a reasonably clear plan as to what they want to do, whether they can execute it or not. In 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 the final is an alternative together a different thing but I think in the semi-finals Spain did expose a few weaknesses at, at, at the back with Italy they did point a little bit to how they could um, be bypassed in in, in the midfield and defence and you think well if England are going to do that they've got some really fast uh, good, you know good passing players in, in, in that sort of front three or four players 
they're all very young, so how they deal with the pressure of a final, I, I think that could be one of you know how those young players, whether they look at it as an opportunity um, and rise to the occasion, or whether they see the pressure as a as something that drags them down and, and can't really deal with it. I think that might uh, decide the final. Although obviously you've got to say Italy right the way from the back to the front are have, have got real qualities. And, uh, yep. You think possibly could Pickford be England's Achilles heel? He looked a little bit wobbly last night. Um, I, the free kick was a brilliant free kick, but you think you shouldn't really be beaten in, in the centre of your goal. So Pickford, I think, is, is, is a question mark. He'll either be remembered possibly as the guy who let England down and, and eventually, or to go back to that Werner save against Germany, possibly the save that turned the tournament in England's favour. So that's a question to be answered. Dominic, is there anything you want to add? How, yeah, and also how are the English, how's England seen from Italy as well? Well, I mean, as I said earlier, I think that, um, you know, England are seen as the inferior team. But I think um, Alison makes some good points about Italy and Italy also has some weaknesses. I mean, particularly in defence, they're missing uh, Spinazzola, uh, who was injured earlier in the tournament. And I didn't think that uh, Emerson... Uh, came in and did uh, particularly well. So I think the Italy are very strong in central defence, uh, but there are a lot of concerns here, particularly about the fullbacks and the fact that, you know, as we know, England do have some good uh, youthful wingers. Um, so I think there is concern there. I think there's also a little bit of concern about uh, Italy's attack, uh, especially after the Spain game, where they lacked a kind of centre forward who could have any hold up play. Um, because if we look at the attack, Insigne is very good, but he's very small. Um, and Immobile, I thought, was terrible against Spain. Uh, personally, I think Mancini will stay with him because he's got a very good uh, history of scoring. Uh, I think Chiesa is uh, very good as well, uh, particularly he's got very good feet. But I, I would like to see uh, Berardi uh, maybe playing instead of Immobile. I think the midfield is generally um, very talented, uh, Barella's very good. Verratti is clearly the key player in Italy's midfield, although he's not 100% fit. Uh, and Jorginho's very good as well. But coming back to Alistair's goalkeeper point, uh, Donnarumma, the Italian goalkeeper, is really, really fantastic. He's still only 22 and he's going to be like an, an, an incredible keeper. I think particularly if it goes to penalties, he could be the difference. Obviously, England have got these players like Phillips who have really are very new on the international stage and have played beyond themselves and throughout the whole tournament. And how the team and I mean Southgate, to his credit, and the team around him have managed it and got people through each stage as it's gone on. But how those young players react to the final is just something we'll you know something we'll see at the, at the weekend as well as. Uh, all the other points have been made. I mean, obviously, I'd, it'd be worth just looking finally, I guess, at the effect that the morale in England, perhaps not in Scotland, Wales, and uh, and maybe some other places, but morale in England has received an, a huge boost. It's just a an or a kind of sense in the air that something's happened that's special, that you that's slightly intangible. And it's both in terms of on the footballing side, there's like the fact that England have gone deep, as Rob's just said, twice in a row in or I'll say in tournament football is quite something for England. Because obviously the whole point was always 
they England just couldn't do tournament football, and that's been shown not to be the case. But then also for the country at this time, which is no doubt the same throughout Europe, but to get through to the final and, you know, break even so far, you know, they're breaking new ground since 1966 getting to the final is a major thing, whatever happens now. Obviously, it's a huge difference if they win or lose the final. But the fact that it's taken the nation with them for four weeks is a, is, is a really big boost. And the fact that people are clambering all over service buses in central London and no one's doing anything about it and is not a surprise. And if they win, the country will just melt down on Monday. But even if they lose, I think there's, the, you know, which is on a temp fate, but... Um, it's a, it's, it's, it's a major achievement. I mean, for me, the best thing is the whole way, even last week when England played Germany and there were a, quite a large number of fans at Wembley, all the World Health Organization, Angela Merkel, all sorts of people, even some British, polit uh, British politicians were complaining about spreading the disease and it, it was going to lead to COVID, you know, when, when they scored against Germany and the fans ran to the front of the stands and this was, this was going to be like a super spreading event and all this kind of stuff was said. Scientists came out and were saying, isn't this, isn't this terrible? And th th those people who no doubt still think those things are not really, are not really saying them in the same way now because everybody in England pretty much even people who've never watched a football match, identify as England fans. So if you start telling England fans they're vectors of disease, you're basically telling a lady in the, you know, who's watching on the telly that she's that's the same thing. So I think that that whole effect, you know, has had a positive effect. And those health people are now making a big fuss about certain other issues like, you know, uh, mask wearing in shops, later in July or mask wearing on public transport where there's more public support for keeping those things. Whereas returning to a fairly normal situation around football and seeing partly the exceptional nature of the tournament, uh, it, it sort of changed the game quite a lot in a, in, in a positive way. And as Alistair says in its own terms, it's great seeing people having fun and enjoying themselves because the England football team uh, you know, is, is successful. Yeah, I, I, well, obviously, I don't get that because I live in southern Scotland. So <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 <laughs> I, at the end of the game last night, I, went, I walked out the front door to let the dogs out for a pee, as you do. And uh, the uh, obviously, it's definitely something. I did feel I did actually start singing "Football's Coming Home," but not very loud. I have to say, I don't think it was um, there was much appetite in the in the street for that. Um, but what I was going to ask you, Alistair, was what what it was like actually going to the game. I mean, in terms of all the hoops you have to jump through, because this idea that this is going to be a super spreader event, but doesn't everybody get tested and all sorts of nonsense like that? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things about getting very late ticket arrangements is there was no real confirmation of what what proof or anything you needed to get into the match. And in, in the end, I did a, a, a lateral flow test outside the ground and registered it with the NHS they pinged me the confirmation in about two minutes flat and that enabled me to get through the first check uh, before the ticket check. So, you know, it was, you either had to prove uh, that you were double vaccinated through the NHS app or to prove that you'd had a negative lateral flow test. Um, and that's, 
you know, that, that's the way it is. It was remarkable, actually, inside how relaxed everyone was about everything. It was no, there was very few people wearing masks in the ground. It was a remarkably relaxed atmosphere where you could just tell that pretty much everyone was just over the moon to be there rather than worrying about anything else. And, you know, coming back down to the tube station afterwards, there was probably 20,000 people crammed in Wembley Way uh, getting into the tube um, in, in proper pre-COVID uh, football fans crush style, which was uh, uh, brilliant to see. For the England game in Rome, it was really remarkable how much UEFA did to basically try and stop England fans going. So I bought my ticket on the UEFA website on Wednesday night. They didn't give me a ticket. Uh, they released an app and sent me an email on Thursday afternoon and said that I had to download my tickets by 9pm or they would be cancelled. Uh, and then there was a really big media build-up that the Italian authorities were going to have soldiers, going to have checkpoints. And they made it really, really difficult to go to the game. You had to have a fully charged smartphone uh, and you could only use your app to get in. You couldn't uh, print a ticket or anything like that. Uh, you had to have your Bluetooth on, and they checked us four times on the way into the stadium. But the really nice thing was that once we were in there, the UEFA officials just ignored all the rules about social distancing and stewards, rather, and mask wearing. So there's a very kind of uh, free atmosphere in there. Um, but it was really striking. Uh, the kind of level of uh, documentation and the level of checks that were employed there, which for me sets a, a worrying precedent, actually. And I mean, obviously, we hope that this goes, but um, uh, it was really, really stark how much they did uh, to stop fans going to the match. Interesting watching it last night in a pub where pubs are still struggling with this balance of having someone feel that there's... Uh, <laughs> observation going on as to whether the pubs control the fans within the pubs properly and fans desire to just ignore all of that stuff and so it's kind of awkward at times some pubs deal with it by just relaxing everything others seem more worried and and try to clamp down on it in not quite successful way and i think last night um it pretty much burst the dam in terms of that control point actually and and and, and um it was uh the fervor was unleashed to a much greater extent than, than before it was interesting afterwards london bridge huge crowds outside stopping buses and someone a couple of people had got big beer kegs that they were waving around above their heads god knows where they got them from um so it was a, it was a real party at atmosphere impromptu party on sorts of things going on there was just uh, uh you know you just sort of sense that that uh, people were really ready to to have a good party up all the way up to sunday and looking at uh, things this morning it sounds like 20 percent less traffic on london roads this morning and uh lots of trains hadn't turned up presumably because some of the train drivers are a bit hungover or whatever so um I think it should be an interesting few days ahead. I can't wait for Sunday. The authorities always loved at every sort of big tournament to, to, to play these things up. So even before the pandemic, I remember going to see England and Brazil in Shizuoka in 2002. And all the pre-tournament pre talk was about how the Japanese police were going to take no crap from anybody. You had to carry your passport around at all times or whatever. We got into the stadium, started walking around sort of in a walkway below the stands and all the Japanese police were staring outwards like a big show of force meanwhile behind them one guy was absolutely decking another guy 
um, and then nobody saw it at all. We were all saying, did that happen? You know, just amazing. And nobody did anything at all. Just guys walked off. And, um, it's like France and the World Cup. There were, you know, guys with machine guns standing in all the stations and all this sort of stuff. And actually, my experience has been of three World Cups is that... Um, it's just for show and actually the, the the tournaments go on pretty well and the fans mingle and there's generally very little trouble and it's all good fun so um hopefully we'll get some more of that at the weekend as well dominic said his head says one thing and his heart says another does anybody want to make a prediction for the final or a, a score well i thought last night was a 60 40 game in favor of england and um i think sunday's a 60 40 game in favor of italy uh, so probably uh, 1-1 Italy on penalties. Yeah, I think a lot depends on uh, the style of play that uh, Southgate adopts. I think if they can move the ball quickly, uh, as Spain did, we can see that Italy can find that difficult to deal with. But I think if he adopts this more cautious, kind of very risk-averse approach of a lot of tapping it around at the back and not really uh, being aggressive enough, then I think uh, Italy will def- defeat England. So um, I would uh, predict 2-0 Italy. I think it's 50-50 actually rather than 60-40 this one. I think it's completely, it's there to be won for, for either side. And, it, it, you know, if Italy use that experience and and uh, their brilliant central defence can get their way, uh, right and left back sorted out a bit more, then I think they've, you know, Chiesa to me looks a brilliant player. Um They've got uh, uh, every chance of winning it, but equally, I think if if England, I mean, I thought Sterling played really well last night, and they've got speed and dynamism in those areas that can really hurt Italy. I think, and I, I think equally, they're capable of doing it. I was too close to call. Yeah, I just think it's too close to call, and there's so many variables, both in terms of the footballing setup and also how they cope with the pressure and the build up in the next few days that. Um, that, that you just can't can't tell one way or the other, but it should be a it should be a great match and a great occasion, and just what we need at the end of this uh, horrible fifteen months. Anyway, thank you all for joining me today uh, and re- reflecting on these things and looking ahead. Feature again soon. Thank you very much indeed. Cheers. Ciao, ragazzi. <laughs>